Well, welcome. Hi, this is Joe Albert and welcome to Cup of Joe. And me and Dr. Beck Burson are here to, I really do something very different in terms of a format for a, a podcast. And so uh, we'll introduce that in a second, but but welcome. And today's topic is is about our need for connection, human connection, and and the opposite of that, which, which is the experience of loneliness. So I think you'll find it fascinating and also really helpful. And uh, I'll let Beck say hi. Howdy, this is Beck Burson, and I know Joe through the Orgel program, and I'm looking forward to exploring this topic, and I think it's right in line with one of my goals, which is to learn from neurons and narratives and how they impact people to change, both individually and collectively, so I'm curious where this will go. Yep. Thanks, Beck. And the other day I was listening a little bit to, um, oh God, it's a song that one of my teachers played when I was in high school. That's all I am, I guess. Um, but it's off the Revolver album by the Beatles and it's called Eleanor Rigby, you know? And um, I remember hearing that in high school and thinking, oh gosh, you know, about lonely people, how pathetic and sad is this song. But now that I listen to it and there's just a lot of insight into, I think, the human condition that they picked up on. And and that's really, I think, what we're going to be doing today. Um, so with that, um, exploring connections between people or the lack thereof is, is kind of the focus. Uh, I'm looking at a report from, geez, just 2020 from the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine. Uh, they pointed out that more than one third of adults age 45 and older feel lonely. And nearly one fourth of adults age 65 and older are considered to be socially isolated. Older adults are more likely to face factors such as living alone, the loss of a family member, chronic illness, or hearing loss. Loneliness is that feeling of being alone. Regardless of the amount of social contact a person might have, social isolation is a lack of connections. Social isolation can lead to loneliness in some people. By others, it's not really an issue at all. Uh, recent studies have found, though, that isolation can increase a person's health risks. Um, social isolation was associated with about 50% increased risk of dementia and so forth and so on. And, and you're certainly welcome to read more data on that. But what we thought we'd do today is, is what is the antidote to, to loneliness? And that's where the that notion of meaningful connections can occur. So, Beck, of course, as a psychiatrist, I'm guessing this has been in your realm of, of treatment over the years. Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say loneliness or the flip side, this desire to have meaningful connection with people is at the heart of majority of the patients I work with and they all share this common trait of wanting to connect but sometimes falling into the myth that it's too hard or they can't and sometimes I'll do this thought experiment Joe or I'll just say hey right now it feels like you can't connect with somebody it feels like you don't even know how but imagine you are in this experiment mm -hmm. where you're put in this room with 10 people and they give you some mysterious drug, which 
allows you to complete this assignment. And they put you in pairs of two. And they have you talk about one secret that you have, one fear that you have, something that you've struggled with, and to share what the narrator in your mind is constantly saying about you. And they usually are pretty, um, they, they, they take that very seriously when they think about it and they um, imagine it. And then I ask them, do you think you'd feel connected to that person? And they said, absolutely, absolutely. I said, what do you think the, the likelihood that you'd be friends? And they, they always say highly likely. And um, I've had the opportunity to get to know you and learn from you. And I'm hoping, I'm not gonna ask you your biggest secret and fear and all the juicy details, but I do wanna have meaningful dialogue, even if just for a little bit on this topic of loneliness. Mm. And I, I'd like to make myself open to that as well. And I'd love for you to just share a time when you really needed connection and how that worked out. Mm. Boy, there's a lot there. Jeez. Childhood, my experience of childhood was feeling like I was never seen or heard. Mm. Um, and then I, you know, I, I went through a lot of change and in, in my 20s. And again, I, I experienced a period of it was pretty serious depression, but also that lack of being seen or understood by people. And then, you know, got married, had kids, busy, doing a million things, going to school, everything else. And then in 2019, my wife and I left Spokane, Washington, uh, where I was working in Gonzaga, and we relocated to Southern California. And um, that was, again, that experience of, boy, are we going to meet people here? Will, will anybody understand us and our background? We had a couple friends, but really not many. And so we felt pretty much isolated, I think, as a couple. And then in, um, yeah, and then in September 2021 um she my wife contracted uh covid and and died after a few weeks and um uh, and I, I remember this experience of my son's being here because I, I also had a heart attack right after that and they were with me through all that but then they left they, they had to go back to their lives their work one in la one on portland and i remember saying goodbye to them and coming back in the house and realizing i was alone and that fear of being alone, it wasn't, I, I'm good at being alone. I can do that. I have a, enough going on in my head and I read a lot. But that sense of who will see me now, who will get me? Um, none of my friends were here. They were all up in Spokane, you know, or my family back east. So um, it was a pretty... And, and I, I think I still continue to, to uh, you know, encounter this kind of fear. You know, Oprah Winfrey says, you know, people would just want to be seen. And, um, and I think I struggle with that. I, I'm not sure I feel confident yet that I'm seen or heard by others. And, and that creates some, it's, it's unsettling to me, feeling untethered um, and, and more deeply not understood or seen. Wow, Joe, that uh, had to have been so hard. And I imagine just since that time, a lot has changed. 
when you reflect to that moment when your sons had taken off and that dark cloud of loneliness started to seep in, at that moment, what was your biggest fear, if you could name it? Yeah, um, that it would it would stay like that. Um, I did die basically, and my neighbor resuscitated me. So I, I just thought, I don't want to die right away, you know, again permanently. Um, I wanted to be there for my sons, and so I felt like, what was going to keep me alive? What was going to um, give me hope? Um, yeah. I think that's what I was afraid of is, is not having things to cling to that would get me through the darkness and um, would somehow give me hope and passion again. Um, that's, that scared me a lot actually. So. Well, you bring up such a good point where there's this fear, like it's going to stay this way forever and that somehow we're not going to be capable of having what it takes to get out of it. And having lost your wife who reflected so much of who you are to you and grieving, not having that reflection to be able to move forward. Um, if you feel comfortable, do you mind just talking a little bit about how we have identity through the people who reflect to us who we are and how important that is? Yeah, that was probably the first thing I noticed was there was like when you're married, we were married 43 years, you know, and so it's like there a lot of who you become over that time is an adaptation to the other person, the, the relationship, you know, and so I thought, oh, there's nobody now in the house here at night that I process with, that I go through critical thinking with, that I, you know, get upset with or whatever it is. So it, it's, I'm just on my own. Uh, I remember I thought I'd never bought clothes for myself in my life. I just didn't. Um, I, we didn't have much money growing up. So obviously I didn't do it then. Like I just got hand-me-downs from cousins and but you know and then my wife always bought my clothes for me so oh my god here i go you know i can i can do whatever i want but i don't know how to do that i don't know what colors to buy i i don't know a damn thing about that you know and so there were so many things that i felt inadequate in coping with so that sense of competence mm -hmm. um like knowing how to cope, knowing how to find hope, <laughs> knowing how to buy clothes. I mean, sure. I, I really lacked a, a sense of confidence in my competence um, in terms of a variety of, of things that laid before me and that I needed to address or do something about. So um, I, you know, I look pretty dark. I, I just lived in my head a lot, honestly. And I sit up in my office upstairs, which I love and just look out the window a lot and see people going to work each day and, and people walking by, walking their dogs and thinking, I'm just observing now. I'm not really engaged much in, in the world. And, and I've never been like that, you know, at least since I was a kid. And so, um, so that, that's, that kind of eats at you a little bit, you know, like, where am I going to get the confidence again and my ability to, to navigate things? And right now I just, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't feel it, but, I, but, 
but I, I I'm hopeful that maybe I'll I'll sort of develop some skills in that regard. You know what I mean? So if that makes sense at all. So no, that's that's such a good point. It's a really courageous act to try and build community, especially when we are lonely. And I do, I think of people that I know and care about, a lot of my patients who I don't know, I get the visual of a jump rope, you know, when you're mm. looking at it going and you're you're watching it and you're trying to figure out how do I get into this? How do I get into this when there's so many things working against you? And that confidence and competence to even believe that you can have meaningful connection again. Um, can you tell us what gave you hope during that time? You know, we talked about what your fear was, what, what, what gave you hope? What gave you insight during that time? And how have things evolved? My neighborhood, you know, I've spoken about them to, to lots of people and they've been extraordinary. I mean, you know, they would, to this day, they, they come by, a, you know, we, I live in a cul-de-sac and, and, you know, we have big meals out in the street and parties and everything else, but they check on me too. And they'll just randomly invite me over for dinner. Um, you know, we haven't seen you a couple of days. Come on over tonight. Like, okay, off I go, you know, and, and I've had to learn things like, what do you bring with you when you go to somebody's house for dinner? You know, like my wife would make something or whatever. And so I, I've had to develop some skill with that kind of socialization, which I'm not bad at, but I'm pretty introverted. And so for me, like my next door neighbor was absolutely wonderful. She and her husband have two little girls, three and five, I guess, and or three and four. And um, what do you do to go to a two-year-old birthday party? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what to bring to that, you know, and um, I was going to bring Die Hard, the movie. I thought <laughs> oh, the kids will love a good movie, you know, um, but they're the, the little things that take courage for me and um, to walk into a house by yourself with a gift bag for, at a two year old's birthday party. It's, it's terrifying, to be honest with you. And um, so what how do I take a breath, walk in the door and everybody's like, oh, Joe's here, you know, and being one of the only guys and definitely the only single guy. Um it's just it's uh, it's hard and and so that's what it's like and and it's those little things that probably don't sound like a lot to most people because people do it all the time, but when you're with a, in a couple, then you go in and you have each other and you can you know whatever talk or chat or whatever and I don't have that I just I got to go in by myself you know and uh and act like I'm comfortable and uh start a conversation and all that and so <clears throat> that's what it's like I mean I, that's probably the best example I can think of you know what I mean so yeah yeah I mean I imagine you agree with this but you could have gone in a different direction you know, this meaningful community that you have with your neighborhood. Um, I don't know, maybe these folks are just so persistent and ingratiating, it would have happened anyways. But I, I think we have some agency as to what degree we're going to connect with mm. folks. And it, it really would have made sense and would have been completely understandable for you to stay in your house, not go out, 
what was the story in your mind or what did you tell yourself that made it worth it to try and connect with people to push back, push past that barrier or that um, desire to isolate? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, um, as much as I love living in Spokane 47 years, um, that wasn't my desire to go back there. And, and a lot of people asked me uh, when I got out of the hospital, um, this was after my wife had died too. So are you going to move back to Spokane now? And I'm like, you know, I'm a mile and a half from the beach. No, it's 70 degrees a year around here, you know, more or less. Um, so I, I didn't want to do that. Um, I didn't have any other choice. I mean, I could have just isolated myself, but the neighbor, like the night my wife died, uh, my sons and I were out back having dinner that somebody brought us and uh, we heard noise and we walked down in front of the house and there was the entire neighborhood, 30 people in a semicircle with my wife's naming candles in the street. And they were just standing there to support us, you know, and, um, one by one came over and hugged us and whatever, you know, and I thought, wow, this is a neighborhood that won't like go away or, or want me to leave, you know, like, like I get invited to every damn party, you know, and, and uh, I go to all the little fundraisers for their people's kids, you know, and, and there's whatever they're doing, kind of go to the theater for, you know, a sixth, a fifth graders play, you know, um, and I just always say yes to an invitation i don't think i've ever said no um we went to yeah that's what this is a funny example sort of but we had dinner the whole neighborhood and then everybody goes well let's go we're going and and I, we're going to see cinderella you know it's like a kid's production of it in some theater here in carlsbad so i get in the car and i'm driving a couple of people i'm like oh where's so-and-so and we're with the, the husbands right the guys and they're like Oh, you're the only guy going. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, why can't I go to the whiskey bar where they're throwing <laughs> axes or something? You know, um, but here I am going to see Cinderella. You know, it was the funniest thing, and and I just sat there at the theater. You know, it was with all the women basically, and uh, I thought, okay, this is how it works. You know, and and this is a good thing. So I, that built my confidence, I think. And now I just, I don't, I don't let like the fear is there, the fear of, of uh, being uh, excluded or people looking at me weirdly or whatever it is, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, but now it's, I just assume I'm going, you know, and, and like Easter, we'll have an Easter egg hunt, we'll do all that stuff, you know, in the neighborhood. And so I'll go, I'll just be there. I, I don't always know what to do. Uh, usually I have a bottle of wine in my hand and bring that with me. And here I am folks, you know, and, and they're great about it. So, so it, it it's like a, a stomach thing. My, I can feel it in my stomach getting tight, nervous. And then I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to go. And, um off i go you know what i mean so so that's yeah but thank you they're really good questions yeah i appreciate that huh yeah i hadn't really thought about it in terms of a process of yeah. me re-engaging with people but that's what it's been you know yeah. you know i i think yesterday i saw a very intellectually sharp patient and i was just commending her at how much courage it takes to do the work she's doing given how she feels. And she just looked at me very matter-of-factly and she said, well, the fear of continuing is greater than the fear of change. Mm, mm. 
and you know, I kind of hear that that um, there was this this fear of like I I don't want to continue in this loneliness. So I'm just going to keep saying yes. I'm going to keep yep. showing up, and I'm really grateful for that. And just as kind of a nice way to end on your story. What are one or two things that, I mean, you can specifically say thank you to that community, mm. your neighborhood on this podcast? I, I think, um, oh, is it Paul Tillich? There's this notion called liminality, you know, mm. for threshold and like from the known into the unknown. And I feel like I'm crossing that threshold from the known that I've known my whole life to something else. And the neighbors are making it, <laughs> they're easing the way for me. And um, through encouragement, you know, hugs, gifts, whatever it is, um, they are there for me. And I don't know where I'm going next. I don't, um, what, what my unknown is, you know, obviously. And so, uh, but they've been there to support me and, and they're like, you're not leaving. You're not, you're never going to leave. I mean, I thought, okay, I guess not. You know, I mean, some realtor came by and right after my wife died and said, sir, sorry for your loss. So are you thinking about moving? I'm like, seriously, within a week after she died. And, um, and they were so angry and that person never got invited to another party. Kind of funny. Um, but that's how they are with me. They're very protective and stuff. So, so yeah, very profound sense of belonging. It sounds like. Yeah, that's what it's been, you know. So and I remember in in was it in January? I was over for dinner to your house and um you had a bunch of people there and and I was struck with how how intentional you're being about being in a new community and and all that. But I'm wondering more deeply the same questions you asked me is yeah. you know when you think about loneliness or those experiences, what came to mind for you? Um, yeah, I think by nature, I'm a pretty social, connected individual. Um, there's definitely a time, well, there's, I guess there's two times, and both times the answer was community. Um, the first time I was in my early 20s, and I had just graduated college and wanted to go to medical school. My life up until then, everything had revolved around getting into medical school. And I had a very close friend. We had gone to climbing school or to mountain school when we were in our teens through the Spokane Mountaineers. And he was my climbing partner, Eric, Eric Johnson. And, um, he was a pilot and his plane went down and they never found him. Um, this was in September, gosh, over 15, 20, gosh, I don't even know how long ago it was. He would have been 25. Um, and that was my first experience with loss. And I had graduated from college. So I was away from all of my, you know, friends and community. And I was living in Sandpoint, Idaho. And I was so cheap that I was basically living out of my car on the days that I wasn't working at this residential treatment center for 
kids that um, have been sent away with some behavioral issues to these like wilderness programs. And um, I just remember being so lonely. And I think my balm during that time was nature. I would go on these walks um, and just spend this time in solitude. And, and we might talk a little bit more about that, but that paradox between isolation or solitude and connection and how the two are related. Um, and then music, which I know has also been important in your healing. Mm -hmm became important in mine and I got connected with the community there in Sandpoint and um, I think it was every Wednesday night there was an open mic night and I started playing with musicians and it was just a really lovely time to creatively connect on something that was really healing mm -hmm. and I remember one night we played a show at the Panada a little theater Mm -hmm. We were all broke as a joke, but just stoked to be playing music. And um, I think there was like, I don't know, 12 of us. And there were a variety of performances. I played piano. Some people did comedy. Some people played in a band. But it was really beautiful. And at the end of the night, this guy walked up to us and gave us a check and we thought the check was for $12 <laughs> and we were like all right this is awesome <laughs> and uh it was for $12,000 and it was the owner of Coldwater Creek at the time and I just remember we were so happy but you know that was that was my first taste of like okay music nature community are really mm -hmm. important but I wouldn't I wouldn't say I nailed that time in my life as far as navigating but it those things did help yeah. Yeah. but then I think about when I had just finished residency so you know 12 years of education I've worked so hard and I'm an attending physician at you know one of the world's largest military medical hospitals and I'm a psychiatrist taking on all these stories of other people's traumas. And I served my time in the military and I'm getting ready to transition to a civilian and my husband deploys to the Middle East. And at the time I had an, we had an 18 month old girl and um, I was planning on working at the VA and I was recovering from a very serious postpartum depression, um, worst depression of my life. And I remember doing research um, on ketamine. Uh, it was this large clinical trial and we would sit in these chairs going through data. And I remember just thinking like, I wish I could, I wish I could be like one of the research subjects and get this infusion of ketamine, maybe I'd feel better. Um, but instead I got an infusion of friendship and mm. it was through my neighbor, Sarah. I didn't know her. I remember I went to this garden club, um, in the neighborhood. It was this funky old gentrified neighborhood near downtown San Antonio. And I went to this garden club and everybody was, you know, like 
I'd say septuagenarians on up, except for there was this one other gal. And I remember thinking, she looks cool. She looks cool. And, you know, you get these narratives in your head of like, oh, I don't know if they'd want to hang out. But somehow we got into a conversation and I was just honest with her. I said, my husband's deployed. I'm super lonely. I'm not doing well. And she, every Friday would have me over. We never missed a Friday. And she had a little boy who was around my daughter's age. And I remember she had chickens. And the two kids would run around with the chickens and just laugh. And we'd always have pizza from the same pizza place. And uh, her husband was great, but he would always just kind of make sure we had what we needed. And we would talk and laugh. And just having that consistency was so essential. I mean, absolutely like air in my lungs. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And you've been through other moves and changes since then. Many, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's what's emerging for you as anchors in these processes that get you through them? I would say one of them is definitely authenticity, Mm. um, which we've talked about in our show, you know, this ability to show up in real time with all your strengths and all your vulnerabilities so that what's inside also gets closer to what's on the outside. Um, I feel like if I, if I don't anchor in authenticity, even if I have connection, it's going to fall flat. It's going to feel really Mm. um, unsatiating. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd say authenticity. I would say another theme that's so important to us is story. Mm. Um, I think it's such such a gift when I get to hear people's stories. Mm. And, you know, Sarah ended up sharing her stories with me. And Mm. um, they were so real and honest and beautiful and terrible and all the the stuff in between. Um, So I'd say authenticity. I'd say story. Um, and just that Maya Angelou thought that like we are more alike my friends than we are unalike Mm. you know you can get into this idea that oh people don't understand they wouldn't want to connect with me I'm too broken or you know on and on and on there's no Mm -hmm. lack of (laughs) negative narratives that fall into that crack Um, but yeah just that that idea that we're part of a shared humanity of suffering and that we all want connection. Um, and then like you talked about just courage. Mm-hmm. Um, like it is, it is not comfortable to try and forge into community. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a dear patient who, you know, they have gone to rehab three times and they know that they want to be sober for them. They feel like it, it's, a reality that they want to commit to, but they're so lonely and they feel like the only place they can meet people is at the bar. And so, you know, they, they go to the bar and part of me understands. It's like, yeah, that's gotta be hard. Um, I think a lot of us find ourselves in that dilemma, but the courage to push through the awkwardness. I mean, I, 
we just moved here in October and we've been intentional trying to build community because that was one of the values we committed to in moving here. And I'm sure she meant really well, but I reached out to an individual. Um, maybe this was a bit audacious of me, but I'd heard about them and professionally they seemed um, to be kind of in a similar field. And um, I just maybe didn't make it very clear that I was just looking to be friends and they said, Oh, well, if you want to do this coaching package, it's, you know, this much money. And, <laughs> I, I responded. I was like, Oh, that's really neat. What you're doing. Your network is probably full at this time, you know, in full transparency, I was just looking for somebody to connect with. Uh, it's so awkward. You know? Like, uh, so it is awkward, but the courage. So yeah, I'd say authenticity, courage, knowing that you're not alone and we're in this together. Um, whatever the fourth point i said <laughs> what's been like. what's been most surprising as you've made this move um to a community and i i've seen you kind of in action you know you and your family you're just great at engaging with people and so forth but as as you sort of walk down this road what's been most surprising for you oh good question i i honestly think some of the surprises still awaiting you know i mean we're still in transition um but being able i don't know if i'd call it a surprise but being able to trust that if you have one or two people like yourself that Mm -hmm. you resonate with and i i love that concept of you know being able to resonate with somebody to trust that they can bring into your world people that you might also resonate with. And, you know, you've been very generous in introducing us to people that we wouldn't have known otherwise. And, you know, it's, it is kind of funny. I mean, we didn't say this at the beginning, but this conversation was supposed to be about networking, right? Right. And neither of us felt a lot of energy about that. (laughs) So we kind of (laughs) repackaged it as loneliness and connection. Um, but really, that is what networking is. Is you're you're hoping that somebody you resonate with, who's in your tribe, might introduce you to somebody that you might also resonate with. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of trust and magic and mystery in that. And so I I do think some of the surprise is still awaiting. I think there's people out there that we haven't met yet, but will become some of our best friends for life. Mm. Um, and maybe that's part of the the hope. That's part of the intention. That's part of the the belief. Yeah, yeah. It'd be nice if they didn't charge you, but you know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's okay. So, well, thank you. I this has been rich. Uh, this is this is good. So, strategies. You know, as we think about. Um, people that are struggling with with this because like networking just feels icky to a lot of people, including myself. You know, yeah. it feels a little like authentic. It's not authentic. It feels like uh, I'm going to do the imposter thing and be somebody I, I don't think I am. Yeah. But um, so 
what are like authentic strategies that allow us to engage with people that, you know, we could be friends with or at least colleagues, associates, whatever, but at least feel a connection to, you know, and I have some stuff I was going to mention, but I, I'd like to hear from you. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, what are some strategies that people can utilize? Well, I think fundamentally the stance that we do need help. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I feel like what has been modeled to me maybe by culture is like, if you are in quotes networking, you got to approach it as a win, win, win. Like I've got something to help you. You've got something to help me. Let's help each other so we can help the world. (laughs) Really. I think that honesty and that humility of like, "Ah, actually just moved to town. I'm on the market for friends. (laughs) I need help. (laughs) I'll be honest. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it'll be a win-win. <laughs> like, I think that um, that humility of just asking for help, it's so hard to do, especially for folks who have been pretty hyper-independent and able to figure out systems so that they're insulated from asking for help. I definitely fit that category. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess just an invitation to have the courage to be in that space of like, yeah, actually, I do need a little help. I'm, I'm not totally pathetic, but <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> yeah. What yeah, yeah. Thought? Well, the other night I was at a party at a party and uh, it was at St. Patrick's Day and about half the crowd, it was a large group, I didn't know. And honestly, I think I was the youngest one of the crowd. Okay. So they're like all like, oh, you're interesting, you know, come and play cards with us. And I'm like, well, it's not like I'm not interested in playing cards, you know, but it's just that's kind of not my thing, you know. And um, well, that's okay. I'm like, well, not really. I mean, if that's your thing, it's probably it's going to be awkward for me. So I was like a funny thing, like, where do I fit in here? And but that but you got to go through that stuff to meet people that are interesting or like, you know, whatever. And so um, so I, you know, I continue to struggle with I have not I have not. I The first time was like within a week after I got here, I went and interviewed the head of this chamber related organization. And I thought, well, she'll be impressed with me. You know, I brought my resume and I I laid it out and all that. And, and she's, I mean, she does leadership sort of training and she goes, yeah, I think we're good. Thank you though. I'm like, but I'm really impressive, you know? And it was just like, evidently not. And so like, okay, well, thanks. She goes, yeah, here's my card. If you ever need something, I'm like, well, that's kind of why I'm here, but okay. Uh, let, let's let that go. So, you know, like, how do you start to do this uh, in a way that you can stay in your own skin kind of, you know, and, and feel like, yeah, there's some real connections here. And I, I think it happens. I, I It's almost like you have to make yourself available. And I do feel that one, it was very interesting. One of the authors I've read about this thing on loneliness was talking about loneliness being like a, like a trigger, like a, 
a reminder that there's a need not being met, you know, and it's like hunger, like, oh, I, I forgot to eat lunch. Um, and he, I think it was, a, he, he said, you know, there's the low and loneliness that sense emerges for you, that feeling, it's, it's a trigger. It's nothing's wrong with you, but it just means yeah. there's, there's a lack that you have to address in some way. And that was helpful for me, actually, you know. So, so I, I think one of my problems is that I tend to ask sort of questions that maybe are a little intense, you know, like one of my friends said that once, you're just so intense. <laughs> um, and I don't quite know what to do with that, you know, other than just keep doing it. But one of my favorite authors on this subject is Martin Buber. And I, I in the last couple of years, just come to appreciate what he's written, you know, the philosopher and um, the I thou, if you have, if you had it as an undergrad, you know, read Martin Buber's I thou book, reread it or read one of the translations because I found it to be really quite profound in terms of his his sense that we become most alive, most authentic, most real when we're in dialogue with somebody else in meaningful conversation. That's where I become part of a we. And that's where I also become more who I am, you know, and I, I just love that notion that, you know, that's what we're built for these connections. I mean, relationships are in our DNA, you know, and, and, we belong with other people in some way. And that dialogic kind of relationship, I think, uh, at least for me, uh, feels like you used the word bomb before. And that's that's what it feels like, you know, to me is it's kind of a bomb. It's like, oh, thank God, you know, a, a rich, intense conversation with somebody and um, they're hard to come by. But I, I think you keep looking for them and because it does meet a need for us at our core. And so um, so for me, the boober stuff was was significant. And it's, you know, how do you approach that? That obviously you don't act on a flight somewhere as you're not like, so tell me the worst thing that's ever happened to you. You know, you don't open with that, but, but I, I think you can, um, I don't know, go deep with people. And like somebody said, you don't want to go to the center of the earth with the first question, but you do kind of want to like get a sense of, so what's your story, you know, which is a question I often use. So, I mean, how do you approach that in terms of strategies and stuff? Because you, you're demonstrating your stories, uh, what you do, but is there anything else that you would say for someone that's like really struggling with this? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some practical things that have been outlined um, by U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. He's made it his focus to raise awareness about what he calls the epidemic of loneliness. And he does see it as a public health emergency, as a, a health emergency, um, whether it's the physiological effects of loneliness, addiction, mental health, etc., um, but he wrote a, a book in the last, I want to say, year or two um, called Together. Hmm. And he highlighted four very simple strategies. And um, when I read it, I was like, oh, this is actually like totally in line with stuff I talk with my patients about. Hmm. But sometimes it's nice to have an organized approach. Hmm. Um, and very practically, the first thing he says is to spend time each day with those you love. 
Sounds like a no-brainer, but devote at least 15 minutes each day to connecting with those you care about. And as I was thinking about this podcast yesterday, that can actually be hard, you know, like between work and getting ready and getting kids out the door and dinner and, you know, um, trying to just spend 15 minutes of uh, that quality time. And that brings up the second point, which is attention. And, and I think this overlays with the boober stuff perfectly, mm-hmm. right? And the I, thou, we, there has to be this gift of undivided attention. And so to forget about multitasking, give the other person the gift of full attention, making eye contact, genuinely listening. Um, I listened to this interview with John Vanderveek or something. He was a professor, University of Toronto, I think. Very, very sharp guy. Um, and he was talking about all these philosophical theories, but he talked about something called looping. And it sounded so interesting. And it was basically just listening to the other person and looping back your internal experience. And I was like, oh, that's like what therapy is. <laughs> that's mm. what like good conversation is. You mm. know, that's the I, thou, we. Um, but it, it requires attention. Mm. Um, number four, paradoxically, and we mentioned this, is to embrace solitude. Mm. In order to truly cultivate the readiness for connection, you have to build stronger connections with yourself. And I think there's a lot of really cool ways to do this. You know, meditation, prayer, art, music, time spent outdoors, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking back to my story, Mm -hmm. like it was sort of the beginnings of me realizing spending time alone was actually the bedrock to building community. Mm. Um, and, And that those could be sources of, solitary comfort and joy. Um, And then number five, this idea of service, help and be helped. Um, That this form of human connection reminds us of our value and our purpose in life. And checking in on a neighbor, like your neighbors, uh, seeking advice. (laughs) Hey, can you help me? I have a problem, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Even just offering a smile to a stranger. Um, These are all ways that we can build in our connections. So yeah, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on those or if anything particularly struck you or if you think. Well, I forgot. I I, completely, we moved into this house and whatever it was in uh, March, I think of 2020, right when the quarantine hit within a month, the neighbor down the street, uh, this doctor that ultimately he was the guy that saved my life. I walked out because I heard a lot of noise down the street and I walked out in front of our house and saw all these people walking down the street with buckets and shovels. And I'm like, what? You know, this is so this is maybe April, May of 2020. And I said, what's going on? Somebody said, get down there. They just had a mudslide. So I went down and sure enough, the whole side of the hill just sort of came down and filled their pools around their house, way up to their windows. It was incredible. So there's probably 30, 40 people 
people there um, just trying to take buckets of mud out. And um, I was the last one to leave. I remember that. And the couple that lived there, the doctor, um, that's where I really met him and got to know him, um, was doing that because I didn't know what else to do, you know? And so <clears throat> he and his wife were there and everybody had left. And uh, I said, well, I'll just stay until you don't need me, you know, and whatever. So, but that was, that was like, that built a kind of a, I don't know what, you know, like a connection, you know what I mean? And that's that effort that, I don't know, volunteering kind of a, a sense that for me, at least made a lot of, it was like, yeah, that's what you do with neighbors and community. And honestly, I had never really lived in the neighborhood community in my life. You know, it, it's always just a house. You sort of know your neighbors, but they're not like close friends. But this is a different deal, you know, but but partly for me, at least, because I invested myself in it. And um, I have a gratitude party every December now. Whole neighborhood shows up, 30, 40 people probably. And, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like I'm yeah, buying food at, you know, Olive Garden and like just putting it all out and that's it, you know. And But people love it. They just come and I do a little toast, thank everybody. And, you know, it's, it's kind of reciprocated in so many ways during the course of the year, you know. Um, like tomorrow night, I'll go to one of the kids um high school across you know i'll go to the match in the rain and watch and it'll ask me did i see him i'm like yeah i saw you you know it's kind of like that so that's you know there's a reciprocity but a, a growing investment too of yourself in a community and is it worth it well, there's times i'd rather just be alone just leave me alone you know like but but you know but you're right and the solitude the aloneness can be a good thing it can be renewing and i I think we all need to get in touch with that but but also at the same time that sort of cycle comes around of, of sort of extroversion and and i've had people say that well i'm introverted i don't do that stuff i'm like well i am too i'm pretty introverted actually you know and and but i know i know the more i can invest myself in in the neighbors and their lives when they want me to then you know there's going to be a point where you know um like when I had my heart attack, I called my neighbor and he made it in 30 seconds down in the house. He's a doctor, ER doc. And he walked in. That was the last thing I remember. I was dead. I was gone. And, and he saved me. The whole neighborhood showed up out front, you know, and waited till I was taken away in the ambulance and all. But, but I, you know, we didn't if we didn't know each other so well, I don't know. I mean, he's such a good guy. He would have done it for anybody, but, but because it was me and he knew me, it was like, bang, rode a skateboard down here, made it in less than 30 seconds. Never forget that, you know? And, and, uh, but that, that's what good neighbors do. And I, I think that's what friends do. And, and uh, I think that's what good connections kind of look like. You know what I mean? So anyway, but I am, I am throwing a gratitude party right now that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow. Me too, uh, me too. No, I, I I think about, you know, mid-August, we were living in North Dakota and made a pretty quick pivot to mm. get out of the military and move to Spokane. And we really didn't know that much about our neighborhood. You know, we had done a video walkthrough of the house. And Sean came and looked at it, but you know, I was trying to look up people online to figure out who the neighbors were. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't really piece it together, but 
wow, we struck gold. We have such a great neighborhood. Mm. Mm. And I just look, I mean, we, yeah, we had a impromptu Christmas party and, you know, mm. playing music and uh, people singing uh, along. And it was uh. just, it was just super life giving. Um, but I think about it like a muscle. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, in physical therapy, they're always like, oh, you got to build up your core. Strength, yeah. Right. Yeah. It'll prevent injury and you never want to do it. It's like, uh, sit-ups and backbends. Oh, it's just no fun. Um, but that when doing sometimes pretty simple stuff, it can keep your back from going out or, mm. you know, when doing complex stuff, it can keep you stable. And it's this muscle that we have to exercise. And I'm sure you're familiar with the term behavioral activation, which is basically doing the thing you don't want to do so that you don't feel worse so that you don't not want to do the things that you need to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the and, best explanation I've heard. And yeah. on the flip side, it's doing, doing the things so that you feel better so that you feel like you want to do the things that will make you feel better. Hmm. And this was so profound to me. I mean, I won't bore you with the research, but my, my mentor in residency, Doug Williamson, he, called himself a translational epigeneticist. And he was on the cutting edge of mm. this domain of epigenetics that our expression of our genes actually can change through our environment. Mm. And I was just reading about loneliness and epigenetics. And it's sort of a cruel reality, but there is pretty good evidence out there that there are long-term impacts of social isolation and molecular underpinnings of how different genes that have to do with socialization happen in our brain. So when we are socially isolated, it's almost like we lose the skills to become connected with each other because of genetic changes. It's wild. And so it's like loneliness begets this behavior that actually creates more loneliness. It's mm. not just psychological, it's very biological. But on the flip side, if we can do that behavioral activation, if we can flex that muscle, if we can do the thing we don't wanna do, if we have the courage to bust through the awkwardness, we're literally changing the way genes are expressed so that we have certain social attributes that make it more likely for connection. Mm. And I, I, I don't know, it was really profound to me. Wow. Um, See, and that, that's significant because I, I think a lot of people would say, well, I'm just not social like you are, right. or I'm not this or that. And it really is a muscle to your point that you can develop. I mean, yeah. probably to a greater or lesser degree with people, but nevertheless, you do have that capacity, at least. We are wired for connection. That's what human beings, that's how we're built. You know what I mean? So, yes. no, it's, it's profound. And I just am so thrilled to be able to be talking in a way that's modeling, hopefully, mm -hmm. some of these building blocks that sometimes we do have to exercise asking yep. intentional questions listening yep. reflecting being vulnerable yep 
And also, I, I think being curious, you know, it's like there has to be a curiosity that drives you about other people. So like, what's your deal? How'd you guys wind up here? Or how did you, what did you do before? Or whatever it is, I don't know, you know, and, but I, I just think, and then people, I, th I think people enjoy talking about themselves, you know what I mean, to someone that genuinely cares about them. And so even if you feel as though you're not good at this outreach sort of meeting people thing, you know, just be curious, uh, you know, and, and I, I just think that's, I asked Einstein about, you know, what's it like being the smartest guy in the room? I don't know how many times I've gotten that question. Probably never. Um, <laughs> But, but they asked him and he said, I'm not, I, I'm the most curious, Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's it, you know? So anyway, we need to wrap up, but yeah. Hey, what a great experiment. Thank you for, well, just thanks. And um, for so much and um, a great conversation. If anybody wants to, they listen to this and they want to get back to us um, back. Do you mind if, if they email you or is that okay? Oh, or would yeah. you rather than not? No, I would love, I would love to hear. This is an experiment today and we're constantly trying to figure out how to make this more meaningful. And if there was an element to this show that was particularly impactful or helpful, um, let us know. Um, my email is uh, Dr. Burson at alpenglowmw.com, spelled out that's D R B U R S O N at A L P E N G L O W M W as in mentalwellness.com. And mine is just Albert at Gonzaga.edu. So um, same one I've used for years now. I don't know why they let me keep it, but they do. Um, so yeah, please let us know. We'd love to get any feedback, anything that you feel like would be, you know, useful for us to, to hear, know, whatever it might be. And um, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you are struggling with that, that sense of being, lonely there are strategies there's ways out of this and and uh, uh hopefully it's been helpful so thank you on behalf of beck and i i really we're grateful and uh look forward to you know another program in in april where we're going to talk about resilience so uh thanks for listening and uh take care bye